0: I may have been watching the news. Uh, We just recently had an airstrike in Syria. And um, these situations, as Christians, we're always uh, called to be alert and be careful and to watch. Excuse me. I'm having a little trouble speaking this morning, so my throat's a little funny. I may not holler as much, so that might be good. Um, but as we begin to watch these events, uh, how many in here when you watch the news events you really think of biblical prophecy? Does anybody do that? I think it's very important to do that. Um, when you look at Syria, um, in my mind, I know the prophecies that are connected with each um each region of the United or each region of the world, uh, the geographical uh, regions that are connected to the ancient names. How many know that? How many have ever studied the ancient names and you connected with the current nations and and it's very important to do that because there's some prophecy. Syria is one that you could connect to a very um, thank you. What a nice guy. Give him a hand. But Syria is one that is connected and you begin to look. I mean, the prophecies uh, concerning Damascus. Uh, as you begin to look in the Bible, there's two different references in the Bible that mention um, that Damascus will be a heap of ruins and that it'll no longer be inhabited. Now, Damascus uh, prides itself in being the longest, uh, uh, longest-standing, existent civilization to ever live in a city. It's Damascus. So a lot of people that have studied the Bible begin to look at what's happening in Syria. And one thing you want to be really careful about is don't always read prophecy into the newspaper. It may be a fulfillment of prophecy. It may not be a fulfillment of prophecy. But one thing God, I, I just... Um, how many of you ask, when you see these things begin to happen, how many ask God, how should I react? You know, what should I do when I see these things begin to happen? And how many read the newspaper? And, and, and what I really wonder is, what is your reaction? How do you react when you begin to see, um, for instance, the world gets worse and worse when it comes to sin? You know, the Bible talks about it waxing worse and worse and talks about the love of man will grow cold. Uh, the Bible talks about there being a coming Antichrist. How many How many have studied those things? And, and so many times we begin to see things come to pass. And what I want to know is, what does it do to your spirit? Because here's what I think and here's what the Holy Spirit was telling me. How many would like to know what the Holy Spirit's saying this morning? Because maybe He's just telling me and He's not telling anybody else. Maybe that's why I'm sharing it here, right? What's that? Excitement? The Holy Spirit, what He's telling me this morning is, you're saying excitement is what should be on your mind. But here's what the Holy Spirit's telling me. Some of you hear that and it's not excitement. Some of you hear it and it's dread and it's fear, and it's anxiety, and it's worry. And the farthest thing from your mind is excitement. And so every time something happens in the world, and the world gets darker, which I'm not happy about. I don't want the world to be darker. I don't want sin to be around me. But there should be a corresponding um, reaction in my heart that is that lines up with the word that says, I should be really excited. Like, be excited because your redemption draws nigh. And God says, God continually tells us to be excited when you begin to see these things happen because we know it's getting close to our redemption. And so I want to really address that today. I want to address your mentality. Every time something happens in your life, I want to see why is it that you dread? Why is it that you fear? Why is it that you're full of anxiety? Why is it every time something happens in the world that corresponds with what the Bible said would happen, why is our reaction not like Jesus told us to be? And that is excited because the Son of Man is coming soon. Now let me tell you something. There's three times... Um, One thing we know for sure from the Bible is when we see his face, all of our problems are over. And I want you to think about this. There are three times that I know of that we're going to see his face. One that I know for sure is it says when the believer is absent from the body, he's present with the Lord. And I talked about this during Easter that when Christ died on the cross... He delivered every redeemed saint that died previous to that death on the cross and resurrection. He literally went into hell and delivered that into the presence of the Father. And they're right there in the presence of the Father. And when we leave this world, in fact, I'll be honest with you, that is an express lane to the presence of the Lord. If I trust in the Lord with all my heart and everything I live for is God, the moment that I die... I'm in the presence of the Lord. All my problems are over when I see His face. But then there's another event that I see that is so clearly taught in the Bible. And all through the Bible, it talks about this event where Jesus Christ says, I'm going to prepare a place in John chapter 12. This is the upper room discourse. And He said, where I go you're going to go there with me in the Father's house. You say, well, that's the glorious appearing at the end of the end of, end of the tribulation, but that's not right. Because at the end of the tribulation, when he appears, he comes to the earth and we're with him to rule and reign. But this other one is totally different. This other one, I'm a believer on the earth and... This particular event has no sign, has no advanced warning. It comes suddenly, it comes quickly. We don't know when it's going to come or when it's going to happen, but suddenly we see his face. And when we see his face, all of our problems are done. They're all done. Some of you have got a hold of this in your life. Some of you are just hearing it for the first time. And by the way, this is the gospel. This is the good news that I'm supposed to proclaim every week, but you gotta get a hold of it in your life because every time you hear something, it's dread. It's fear. It's worry. It's sadness. It's sorrow. And God wants to turn that around and He wants you to change your focus. There's another one that I see. Now, that particular one's awesome because it happens before the tribulation. Like, I don't have to worry about the Antichrist. I don't have to worry about the tribulation. I don't have to worry about the bowls of wrath. I don't have to worry about the trumpets. Because very clearly in his word, he says, there's going to be an appearing of the Lord. And when I see his face and the shout, I'm going to go with him. Our problems are over. Then there's another one. At the end of the tribulation, can you imagine going through this event? Seven years of the tribulation, the worst that it's ever been on the face of the earth. And do you realize that after all that has happened on the earth, there are going to be some people that are looking for His appearing and it's called the glorious appearing of the Lord where he will set foot on the earth. And when we see his face, all of the world's problems will be over because we'll see his face. Now what God wants to do today is say, man, if I could only see his face right now, all my problems would be over. All my sorrow, my sadness, my, my worry, my anxiety. And, and see, here's the good news. God wants to rapture you into his presence every day of your life. God wants you to be the type of people that look at his face. The kind of people that when you wake up in the morning, you see that face. When you wake up in the morning, you're full of the peace that's on that face. You're full of the love that's in that face. Your eyes are squarely fixed upon the face of Jesus Christ. You know, there's a uh, fountain out here that every week I'll I'll put my foot up on there right before I pray. Get ready to come in here and preach. And it says, keep your eyes on the prize. How I many you know what that means? Keep your eyes on the prize. Have you ever seen a tightrope walker? And he's just walking and he's got what's called a focal point. And if he were to ever lose his focus on the Focal point. It's like ah, you know, he'd be gone because it's a focus of his life. And what the Holy Spirit was telling me as I made this message this morning is, some of you are too easily taken out of focus. Some of you, let me let me get in your business a little bit. Some of you had a bad morning. I'm not making light of a bad morning. I've had a lot of bad mornings. But you know, a bad morning very quickly can take your focus off of him. Anxiety at work. Don't go there, brother. That person at work, that thing somebody said about you, that thing somebody did to you, can totally take our focus off of Him. It can totally take away our peace. It can totally take away our joy. It can totally take away everything that God is trying to give us every day of our life because we lose our focus. We're not keeping our eyes on the prize. We're not squarely fixed on Him at all. And can I tell you something? Prophecy can do that to you oh man, the Antichrist is somewhere in this world. I want to know who it is. got to know who it is. I want to know which one is this man that's doing all these things behind the scenes. I'll be honest with you, I don't exactly know what's happening in Syria, and I study this really closely. I don't... This is just confessions of a person that really watches it closely. I don't know why a president would say... We're pulling our troops out of Syria. And the next day, why would that leader of that country use chemical weapons the next couple of days? Does that make sense to anybody? It's almost like he's saying, please bomb me. Why would he say, please bomb me? Something doesn't add up to me. I don't know what it is. I don't know who's to blame. I don't know which news source is giving me the proper news. I don't know and, and I don't need to know. Because my eyes are squarely fixed on Jesus Christ. You know, when Moses went through the wilderness, you know, Moses' eyes were fixed on God. Moses, Joshua, and I believe Caleb, they were always in the presence of the Lord. They had their eyes focused on Jesus Christ. They are always focused on God. They are always in His presence. But you know, the people couldn't do that. There were a large group of the people that... Complained. They murmured. They always found fault with God. Don't find fault with God. They didn't have their eyes focused on Him. They always found fault, they always found fault with Moses. How many you know that's true in the story? Can I tell you something? If your eyes are on leaders. Can I tell you real quickly, I'll fail you. You say, but wait a minute, you don't measure up to what I wanted you to be because I love Pastor Rod. Well, join the club, I liked him too, but he's just not here right now. That's the problem. Can I tell you something? People lose focus on Jesus Christ because they're caught up in leaders. We're losing, we're not keeping our eyes on the prize because we're not focused on Jesus Christ, we're focused on men. And God doesn't want us to be focused on men. He said, well, wait a minute, all I've been focused on is my personal problems. Man, I've got so many serious problems right now, God is the last thing that's on my mind. See, we got to be careful. I'm a pastor. I want you to be ready. I I care whether you're focused on Jesus Christ and whether we're ready when he comes. Now, what I want to talk about today, in fact, the the message I got, I always pray for the right title because I don't know the title until I start preaching. I know the subject that I'm teaching on. But the title is Look Up. Look up. Some of you are like uh how many know if you ever raise pigs? Somebody tell your neighbor he's about to call us a pig. I'm sorry. I just have to use the example. You know if you raise pigs they can't look up? They can only look at the ground? So if you have to raise them, you have to use a stick to kind of hit them so they can get their attention because they can't really look up. They can't look up at the sky. Do you know that? How many know that to be true? How many have raised pigs? Can they look up at the sky? They look straight at the ground. And they root on the ground. And if they get you underneath them, you're in trouble. Because they'll, they'll literally root you to death. They're a mean animal. But they can't look up. And you know, one of the conditions we find with this unclean animal, it's always an example of the world. And we don't want to be like the world. We don't want to be like a pig. We don't want to only be able to look at ground level. We don't only want to look at what's around us. We don't only want to look at all the things that are in front of us. We want to be able to look up. I want to be able to get up in the morning and look up at the sky. And every day I want to say is, today the day, come quickly. Come quickly, Lord, come quickly quickly, Lord. Today, the day, Lord, come quickly. I want to keep looking up. Every day when I see a prophecy, I want to look up and I want to get excited. Not only the excitement of being with the Lord, but the excitement and the thrill of going after the lost to the very last day. I don't want to be caught up in dread and fear and and all this stuff that the enemy wants to tie, bind us up with all the fear and anxiety of the last days. I want to be excited. Listen to this, Jesus, John 14, I've already said this one, there was a reason I couldn't see that, John 14, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that you may be where I am also. Jesus will return just as he ascended, coming back for his people, Acts 111. 1 Corinthians 15, 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. I mean, like mystery. It's a new revelation that Jesus was sharing with his followers. A new revelation they hadn't heard before. The Jewish people didn't know anything about this. You say, Well, I'm all Jewish roots. Well, on this one, don't be Jewish roots. Be like the new mystery is revealing here, okay? Because this is a new thing that he's revealing to his believers, his church. It says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. The last trumpet, Paul clearly believed and taught, believers will be alive when Jesus returns. In a moment, they will be changed. So if the believers are alive and in a moment they are changed, how could that happen at the end of the tribulation? This is a whole different event, people. Whole different event. First Thessalonians 4.16, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry, a command, a voice of an archangel. Sound of the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we also who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, we will always be with the Lord. Paul believed he would be among those who are taken alive with Christ. So, what I'm talking about today is the imminent return of Christ, meaning at any moment, at any time, no scripture has to be fulfilled, no prophecy has to be fulfilled. There's going to come a moment in the twinkling of an eye, and everything about this, and, and I'm, going to, I'm going to read in a second here five parables that Jesus talks about him coming to the to 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 receive us to himself. And every one of these parables, it's going to be suddenly. And a lot of you have heard these parables from ministers and it was brimstone and fire and you're even going to be afraid when you hear them because they're kind of scary to you but you should have been excited. You should have been those who were excited and I'm going to try to recondition your mind to listen to these parables again where there's excitement and not fear. Where you're like ready to be with the Lord and you're excited that the actual parable will actually say... I'm coming to get you. I'm returning quickly to come get you. And and it's going to say, but those who aren't ready, it's going to happen suddenly. It's going to be like a thief in the night. And, I, and you've been conditioned your whole life to think, man, that's scary. That's bad. That's negative. That's something that's not good. And you totally missed the whole point of the parables. The whole point of the parables is I'm coming quickly to come get you. I'm coming back and you're going to see my face. But we missed it somehow. We missed it that Jesus Christ is coming very, very soon, very quickly, and His reward is with Him. And it's positive. Praise God. Let me give you two contrasts. This is just a chart that I found that is really important because not only am I preaching a message, but some people will disagree that there's even a rapture, so I like to give a lot of foundational teachings just so I can establish that this is what I believe doctrinally, okay? Everybody give me a second to do that. Okay, the the two events. There's a rapture event that has no signs. It's suddenly it happens without any prophecy. No, not one prophecy has to be fulfilled for the Lord to come right now in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. But then there's also what's formally called the second coming which comes at the end of the tribulation. How many know the difference? At the end of tribulation, Jesus Christ will literally come, touch the ground, ground will split, and this is the end of the tribulation period and the beginning of what's called the millennial reign. But there's a rapture event. It talks about all through the Bible. And the reason why doctrinally we believe that there are two separate events, one happens previous and one happens later, is listen to this. The rapture, he comes for his own. Literally, he's coming for those who are believers. The second coming, he is with his own. So here's the first problem you run into if you think they're the same event. There's no rapture. We go up and immediately come back down and rain on the earth. There's no moment in between to go to the place that he prepared for us, which he said that he's going to prepare a place and he would take us to him, his believers. So how do we go up and down and never go to the place he prepared instantly? The second, the first one, Christ comes in the air in first Thessalonians 4.17. He's in the air, there's a shout, and instantly everybody who trusts in the Lord is raptured. But they're in the air. He never comes to the earth. The second coming, it says he comes to the earth. The major earthquake, the earth splits, and he establishes the millennial kingdom. Two totally different events. The first one, he comes and claims his bride. So he comes to receive his bride. And the Bible says he brings his bride in, and there's a feast. And they all feast together and they all celebrate the marriage of the bride and the groom. But the other one, the bride is with him and comes to the earth. Where is the time for the celebration, the feast of the Lamb? There is no time for it if it's all the same event. The next one. The first one is the removal of the believers. And the second one is the manifestation of Christ to the world. He shows himself to an unbelieving world in the second one. And in the first one, he reveals himself to his believers and, and gathers his believers together. The next one. The rapture, only his, only his will see him. Like he says, you'll see me, but the world won't, right? But in the second coming, every eye shall see him. The first one, the tribulation begins, because it says, we'll be gone and then the Antichrist will be revealed. The second one is the end of the tribulation, the millennial reign begins. So how can they be the same one? Really totally different time frames. The first one will be saved and delivered from wrath. The second one, the unsaved will experience the wrath of God for eternity. So one is being saved from the wrath. One, the wrath is just being poured out. One, it says no signs will precede it. In fact, all through the Bible, it says it'll be signless. It'll be sudden. It'll be like a thief. It'll be like somebody that comes suddenly. And I'm going to read those parables in a minute. But the other one, it says signs will precede his second coming. Do you know there's more than a few signs of that second coming? Like literally every sign you could possibly imagine in heaven and earth and below the earth are happening during the second coming. We've just went through the whole tribulation period, and literally the whole cosmos is throwing out signs that Jesus Christ has came to the earth. Okay? And I know this might be a little boring, but the first one that focuses on the Lord and his church, the second one is focuses on Israel and his millennial reign. There's a big difference there. The first one he's receiving his church and the rapture, The second one, he's focused on Israel after the seven years and the beginning of the millennial reign through David. The first one, the whole world is deceived. They're under deception. There's a great falling away. The second one, Satan is bound and he is not able to deceive. You ever think about that? Say, why is the purpose of this? Because you're going to watch the internet. And you're going to watch YouTube, and some guy's going to say there that John Darby made up the rapture, and we should not believe it. Okay, I'm just giving you biblical things that you need to be studying to know that there is a rapture, and I've got to make you guys ready. I've got to prepare you to be ready, because you might not be ready. And that's what I'm going to go through in a minute, but I've got to have a foundation. Let me appreciate foundation. Good, because it makes my sermon longer. Okay? (laughs) So appreciate the fact that my sermon is longer because it's foundation. Because if you go through this and you say there's no rapture, then you won't hear the rest of my sermon. But if you know that there is very, 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 very possibly a rapture, then you can listen to how I'm going to help you be ready for it. The first one, the unbelievers remain on earth. This is a big one. After the rapture, how many know the unbelievers are still on the earth? Believers are raptured. How can they be the same event when the second coming only the believers remain on the earth? I mean, know that. After the tribulation, only the believers are left on the earth. Two totally different comings, right? One, there's no mention of Christ's kingdom on earth in the rapture. He just takes the raptures the church. There's no mention of his kingdom being established on earth at that time. But at the end of the seven years, Christ comes to set up his kingdom on earth, called the millennial reign. Totally different. Christians are taken to the Father's house in the rapture, John fourteen one. Resurrected saints do not see the Father's house in Revelation 20 at all. That's where the second coming is. One precedes the career of the man of sin or the Antichrist, and the other one terminates his career. Think about that. The Antichrist's career is over at the second coming because the Antichrist is destroyed by the mouth of Jesus Christ at the the Battle of Armageddon. But the rapture... Right after the saints are raptured from this earth, his career actually starts. So really, really need to notice the difference. But I want to read five different parables that Jesus told about his life. Is that how long my introduction is? Uh-oh. It's, uh, there's a guy jumping down on my watch saying I'm doing really good with my steps. I broke a record. But I just want to know what time it is. All right. Let me read these five and you tell me what you think when you hear these. The first one is the parable of the doorkeeper. I need you to hear these different than you've ever heard them before. This is a parable. I'm going to use the word story. Jesus is using a story to explain how we're supposed to be ready for him to come for us. He's coming quickly, church. He's coming for a church who is ready and if you're not ready, you're not going with him. And you do not want to be here if you don't go with him. This is going to be a terrible place. I wouldn't wish it upon anybody. My whole goal is to be excited because I'm about to go with him. I might see his face through death. I might see his face through the rapture. I might see his face uh, in the day that he sets up his kingdom and I'm resurrected. I don't know how it's going to be, but I'm going to see it and it's going to be really soon and it's not going to be long, church, and I want you to go with me. I want you to be ready because I care about you. You say, preach a different sermon. Preaching something something that makes me feel good. Well, this is supposed to make you feel good. You're not supposed to be upset. Don't get tense. Don't get tense. This should make you excited. Jesus says, Luke 12, 35 and 36, he talks about the story of the doorkeeper. He said, be dressed for service. Keep your lamp burning as though you were waiting for your master to return from a wedding feast. Then you will be ready to open the door and let him in in the moment he arrives and knocks. Do you remember in Revelation, one of the churches wasn't ready? It says the Lord's knocking and you won't let him in? And what this is saying is he's going to suddenly come back and you're the doorkeeper. And he's saying if you're, this is the story of the doorkeeper. If you're the doorkeeper, which is what my servants are, be ready because when he knocks, you need to be ready open or you're not ready. Let me go to another one, the same story. Mark 13, 30, 33 tells it a little better. Take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. It is like a man who is away on a journey, who upon leaving his house, he puts his servants in charge, assigning each one to a task. Also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether the evening, midnight, or when the rooster crows or in the morning. In case he should come suddenly and find you asleep, what I say to you all is, then be on the alert. What is Jesus telling us about his coming? Be ready. Be ready, be ready. I'm trying to make you ready. What do I have to say in this message to make you ready? Because what we keep doing is we keep losing our focus. We keep losing our focus on finances. We keep losing focus on work. We keep losing focus on men. We keep losing focus on the things of this world that keep taking our eyes off of His coming but he's trying to tell us in every one of these stories how to prepare for my coming the parable of the owner of the house luke 12:39 and matthew 24:42 he says this but be sure of this if the head of the house had known what hour the thief was coming he would not have allowed his house to be broken into you too this is us be ready because the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. And see, some of you I'm just I'm testing here. Some of you just got dread in your heart and fear in your heart and anxiety in your heart, and you miss the whole point. He's coming to get me. <laughs> He's coming today. Today is the day. The Son of Man is coming to get us. I'm excited. I've been waiting for this my whole life. I've been getting up every day, looking at the sky, saying, is today the day? Lord, is today the day? Well, the day finally came and we're dreading and we're fearing it. God's saying, no, don't dread it and fear it. Go out every day and say, it's today the day. When you go through anxiety at work, take a lunch break. Go out and say, it's today the day. When you get up in the morning, say, it's today the day. Have urgency in your life because today might be the day I might not be with you guys anymore. Today might be the day, and live every day with that urgency. There's no way to fulfill the be ready unless you're urgently ready every day. Like every day, I want to be with the Lord. You know, they looked at a group of uh, they looked at a group of kindergarten students. And uh, you interview kindergarten students because they're honest. Yeah. You get older, then they don't tell you the truth. They said, how many here want to go to heaven? And uh, all the kids raised their hand. And then they said, how many want to go today? And the kids were like, no. <laughs> I want to live. They said, how many want to go to Disneyland? They all raised their hand They said, how many want to go today? And see, this is this is, why, this is why we're not excited about this parable. Because we think we're living, but you're not living. I'm not living till I'm in the presence of the Lord. You say, man, I want to stay here and live. I want to live through my body who's breaking down. I want to live some more. Right? I want to live in a world where I can potentially lose everything. Oh, let me live some more. I want to go through that flu thing a few more times because I love the world that I'm living in. I want to live. I want to, I want to pick up the paper every day and read about what's going on in my world because I want to live. Folks, I want to live. I was destined to be in the presence of the Lord. You were destined to be in the presence of the Lord. When I look at His face, all my problems are gone. Because when I look in his face, it says a little while longer. You're almost there. Go a little further. Stay a little more focused. Okay? You got to live there now. You got to begin to desire to be at heaven. When I say you want to go to heaven now, you just say, if I had three hands, i lift both legs up. I want to be in the presence of the Lord right now. And some of you are still saying, no, no, no. I want to live. God's saying, no, you've got to want to live. Now, do I want to live in this world? Yeah, I want to stay here. I'm praying that God will let me live to be 100. Literally, I pray that every day that God will let me live to be 100 if the rapture doesn't take place. Why? Because I want to put, I want to subject myself to that to be there for as many people as I can possibly be there for. I want to live to be as old as I can be. But if I had my choice, I'd be like Paul. He said, for your sake, I'm here, but I want to be there. Church, I want to be there, but stick this thing out as long as you can, God, because I want to reach as many as I can possibly reach in this world. But let me never be to the mind that wants to be here. I recognize what this world is to you. I want to be in the presence of the Lord. So what he's saying every one of these is I'm coming He said, but you must be ready. The Son of Man is coming when you do not know it. Do you realize He just said? How many have ever been ready for a burglar? Some of you are actually ready for someone to break in your house, right? Some of you know exactly what weapon you're going to pull out. Some of you are more ready. Get this. Some of you are more ready for a thief in the night than you are for Jesus coming back. But the principle is still the same. If a thief comes, he's not going to exactly announce when he's coming. He's not going to say, you know, my most likely day would be on Wednesday nights because you might be at church or on a Sunday morning because then I would just stay home and I would wait for him. Right? So Jesus Christ said, my coming will be like a thief in the night. Well, that tells me that I better come up with a way that I'm living for God where I'm always ready. I can't fake this thing. There's no phonies in this thing. There's nobody acting like they're a Christian and then going to work on Monday morning and being just like everybody else. There's no way to fake it. There's no way to be a phony. There's no way to live the double life because sure enough, if you're living the double life, he's going to come back when you're living that double life. And you say, man, that's mean and that's harsh. My job is to prepare you. My job is to make you realize the truth and not believe a lie. There's only one way to be ready, and that's to be in season, in and out. That I'm living for God every day of the week and not just on Sunday morning. Amen? Praise God. Let me go to another one. Those probably were aberrations. Those parables were probably not like the other ones. know he probably changed his uh, mode of operation here let's see the last one was Matthew 24 42 and Luke 12 39 and incidentally a lot of these are in the same chapters just several parables he told in a row about his coming the next one is the parable of the servant in charge of the household Jesus says who then is the faithful and sensible servant? This is Matthew twenty four forty five. Who's the faithful and sensible servant whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is the servant whom the master finds doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, I'll put you in charge of all my possessions. But suppose the servant is wicked and says to himself, My master is staying away for a long time. And he begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drink with drunks. The master of the servant will come on a day when he does not expect him in an hour which he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The message that he's preaching again is be ready. Because the hour you don't think he's going to come, he will come. The hour that he chose to come was when he was eating and drinking with the drunkards and being physically violent to the people that were working around him. We've got total chaos back there, folks, but it's under control. It's all under control. It's all part of the process. That's just uh, the walls are all padded. You know, so we're... Yeah, that's, uh, that's excitement. They were preaching the same message I'm preaching. Luke 12:41 Peter asks, "Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone?" That's a good question. Because we're the Christians, Peter wants to know is this for everybody or is this for the Christians? Peter always asks the right questions. I love I love the way he does it. Luke 12:41 Peter asked, "Lord, are you telling this parable to us or everyone?" The Lord answered, "Who then is the faithful and wise manager?" whom the master puts in charge of the servants to give their food allowance for the proper time. It will be good for that servant who the master finds doing that when he returns. Truly I tell you, he will put in charge of all of his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, My master is taking a long time coming, and he then begins to beat the servants, both men and women, and eat and drink and get drunk. The master of the servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and an hour that he is not aware, or he will cut him to pieces and assign him to a place with the unbelievers. So how did he answer Peter's question? Peter said, you are the servant, and if you're doing what I have asked you to do when I come back, then you're going to have a great reward. But if you're partying and living it up, treating people any way you want to treat them, being harmful... You know, this guy's being physically abusive to everybody around him. He's getting drunk and partying. He's doing all these different things. The Lord comes back and finds his servant who assigned tasks. And he said, now my servant will be assigned a place with unbelievers. In the other place he called him a hypocrite. So how did he answer Peter's question? Yes, Peter, this is for believers no way around it because this was a servant assigned to do a task. He comes back and he's not doing it at all. But here's what we miss in the story. We hear these stories and what does our heart feel right now? Dread, anxiety, fear. I don't have that. I don't want you to have that. God didn't intend for us to have that because what he's saying is, I'm coming back. Your problems are over. But see, we miss that because maybe we're not right with God. Or maybe we're right with God, but our eyes aren't focused on him coming back. Maybe our eyes are focused on everything else besides his return. See, that was the problem with the doorkeeper. He just wasn't looking for him to come back. Wouldn't do anything wrong. A couple of these guys weren't doing anything wrong. They just weren't looking every day for God to come back. I'm going to rush along here. The parable of the ten virgins. Make this a little quicker. There were ten that were waiting for his return. Five had full lamps of oil. Five did not take the time yeah, see if you can quiet them down just a little. Throw uh can we throw some raw meat in there? And I think at the period of time, they're all devouring that carcass. I might be able to finish my message, so. I mean, love kids. I love kids. If I didn't have six of them, I wouldn't smile at it, okay? But ten virgins were waiting for the Lord. He's coming back suddenly, right? Ten of them took the time to make sure they had enough oil to keep their light burning. Five of them. The other five didn't, and they were walking around in darkness. So when the Lord came, it was too dark for them to even see Him come. What's the Spirit telling you? we got to have that light, and we got to live in it. The world's getting darker and darker and darker and darker. So dark that you won't even see the Lord when He returns. He's going to come suddenly. He'll come to your house. And we're going to have enough light to see that the Lord has come back. But because of the fact that some people aren't seeking out that anointing of the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit is the oil. And the Holy Spirit's what keeps my eyes open. the Holy Spirit's what lights my path. And the Holy Spirit's what keeps telling me every day he's coming soon, he's coming soon. Be happy, be joyful, be peaceful. Guys, I'm excited because he's coming back. But some of you can't even see that because you're allowing yourself to live in a dark world that doesn't see that. Any moment he can come back and I'm out of here. It might be you say, "Well, well, well how do you know it could happen soon? I could die very easily, do you know that? I could die in the moment in a twinkling of an eye. The rapture of Jesus Christ can come in a moment in a twinkling of an eye, and I'm so ready. And church, that's how we got to live. We can't live like those that let their light burn out. You see this person living it up in a sinful, dark world. You say, well, that's not me. Well, why were you up all night looking at things on the computer? And there went that oil. God's trying to keep your light lit, but you're letting yourself dwell in darkness. Why are we out partying with the world? And God's saying, hey, man, it would be really nice if you start really getting to know me a little bit. In fact, at the end of this, it's real interesting. It says, no, this is verse 9, uh, Matthew 25, verse 9. It says, but while they were on their way to buy oil... The bridegroom arrived. The ones who were not ready went in, or the ones who were ready went in with him in the wedding banquet and the door was shut. There's that wedding banquet I told you about in between the seven years. They went in the wedding banquet with him and the door was shut. Remember the door that they were knocking on earlier? It's shut now. You can't get in. Later, the others came back and they said, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Again, these are exciting parables because the Lord came back. But we have to be ready in each one. And the last one. The crowd was listening to everything Jesus said. This is Luke 19.11. And because he was near Jerusalem, he told them a story To give them a correct impression of the kingdom of God. Now he was telling a story about silver, and one person was given ten bags of silver, or talents, whatever you want to call them, it was it was money. He was given that. The Lord came back suddenly in this story again, and the one took the ten and he got a profit out of it because he invested it all and used it for God's glory. The second one did the same thing and he got a reward. The one that got the least, according to his talents, he didn't do anything with it. He buried it in the ground and said, Lord, I knew you were a hard man, so I didn't do anything. And the Lord came back and said, You did nothing with it. And boy, this is a hard one. So said, What does that mean to me today, sit in this service? If the Holy Spirit's really speaking to me, I'll know what's in your heart right now. This is the person that knows all the stuff I'm saying today. You know all about the coming of the Lord. You know all about how important it is. You know how important it is to be ready. But you just won't invest anything into the kingdom of God. You bury it and you hide it away from everybody. You say, you know what? I'm not going to pour my life into living for God. I'm not going to get up a single day and expect His return. I'm going to take this knowledge and I'm going to hide it in the ground I'm going to do nothing with it. How many know somebody that does that? And what God's saying is don't do that. Don't do that. Take everything that is you and don't just bury it in the ground and forget about it. If you have this knowledge inside of you, live it. Live it. Walk it. Breathe it. You know, if you go to work, forgive people. If you go to work, love people. If you've got neighbors, talk to them and love them. Care about people. Reach out to people. Let them know about the love of God. Let them know that He's coming back soon. Let them know that they can be excited. They don't have to be depressed. They don't have to be um, totally full of anxiety and worry and all of that. And they just bury it. And you say, well, how does a Christian bear it? They forget about it. They walk around with the same anxiety, the same fear, the same nature. God's saying, don't bury it. Pull that thing out of there. God is coming back really soon. And He wants us to be excited about it. Let me close with this. Ways to prepare. I had uh, three, or I actually had two boys. One was sick. But a boy that goes to my kid's school and, and my son Jonathan, we were driving... Um, we were driving on a long-distance Saturday, and we were talking about Syria, and the boy that was with us said, uh, what is going on with Syria? What is that all about? So after about a 20-minute lesson on the history of the Civil War, and <laughs> uh, I started telling him about Syria, and I just said, you know, it's really important to pray because there are a lot of troops. I mean, there are a lot of troops amassed around there. Chinese troops are all there, ready to defend uh, Russia as an ally, and ready to defend Iran. Iran and Russia are pulling all the strings in Syria. United States, Britain, and France are on a uh, mission to strike Syria. Any of these events could trigger a world war, and we don't even know what's going on behind the scenes. We don't even understand it, and. So as I begin to tell them that we need to pray, you know, because World War II, there was a draft. Vietnam, there was a draft. Korean War, there was a draft. World War I, there was a draft. And I said, just pray because I don't want to see my kids go away to war. So they begin to ask me, well, what do, what do we do if it happens? Because I know a guy that was um, in high school, World War II, and his senior year, they walked in, and all of his classmates went away to World War II. Can you imagine that? They all got drafted and didn't even get to graduate. They went away to World War II, he told me. He's 90 years old now. And so I don't know how that worked that way. I don't know if they were older or what. But um, I want you to think about this. They said, what do I do if that happens? In fact, the first question the boy asked me was, what branch should I go to? You know, which branch would be better, Army, Air Force, Marines, Navy, which one? So he started asking me those questions. He said, what do we do? You ever think about that? What do you do if they get drafted into a world war? I said, the first thing you do is be right with God. I said, be right with God. I said, a lot of guys go away to the military. First thing they do is they get wild. They, they, they kind of lose their, uh, any kind of relationship with the Lord at all. Is that true, Eddie, Troy? And I said, the best thing that you can possibly be is always right with the Lord. I said, then the most noble thing you can do is fight. And I said, and if something ever happens to you, always remember that if you were to die... You'd be in the presence of the Lord. It'd be the most wonderful thing that ever happened if you love the Lord. And uh, as I'm preparing for this, how do I get ready for the coming of the Lord? Number one, I wouldn't say any different than a person that got drafted into a war. The first thing I would say to you today to be ready for the coming of the Lord is to be right with God, to get your relationship right with God. This isn't just a game here today. Everything that I say, you'll be held accountable for Everything I say, I'll be held accountable for. God will remember every opportunity that we came in and had an opportunity to respond to His grace. But number one is pray. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So the best thing we can do, that's Romans 10.9. Make sure you're right with God. I don't want to have any questions. How many know? You don't have to raise your hands. How many know you're right with God? Like, you know what? I've given my life completely to the Lord. It's not based on whether you succeeded or whether you failed, it's whether or not I put my trust in the Lord. None of us here are perfect. I'm not perfect for sure. How many would say that? I'm not perfect. Yeah, Pastor Chad's not perfect, you're not perfect. We all agree we're all not perfect, right? But there's a lot of us in here, and that's all right. You know, sometimes you walk into church, and they may not believe that the pastor is imperfect. I'm saved by grace. You know, I don't want you to ever think that I'm better than you. I'm saved by His grace. I'm grateful for His grace. I'm thankful every time I walk into this place. I'll lift my hands knowing only grace lets me raise my hands. I'm grateful. It's important that you know that because the enemy will tell you, you're not worth it. The enemy will tell you, you're not as good as me. That's not the truth. God's re- restoring me as well as He's restoring you. Second thing is listen to the Holy Spirit. The Bible says when I commit my life to Jesus Christ, and I completely give my life to Him, the Holy Spirit will speak to you. And you know, the Holy Spirit won't let your eyes get out of focus. The Holy Spirit will keep you focused on the Lord. The Holy Spirit will put peace in your heart whenever it's flooded with His anxiety, when it's flooded with His Word. The Holy Spirit will say, it's not much longer. The Holy Spirit's the one cheering me on as I'm moving along. The Holy Spirit's saying, don't let your sin stay between you and God. Don't let your condemnation stay between you and God. Keep moving forward. The third thing, watch. Here's the problem. Some of you have been watching with fear and trembling. Fear and trembling, watching the signs. Let me give you a new commandment. Watch with joy and gladness. Because your redemption is getting closer and closer and closer. Get excited about being in the presence of God. Get excited about His coming. Don't let it be fear and dread. Don't let it be something you're upset about. Let it be something you get excited about. I get excited daily about it. How many do that? How many look up in the sky and wonder sometimes? How many ever lay flat on your back and just looked at the sky and say, Today is the day. It might be today. Lord, I'm ready. How many have ever said, Maranatha? That means come quickly. The believers say, Maranatha, come quickly. I'm ready to shed this body. It'll save me a lot of work. If I could just shed this body, I'd be saved so much work. You know? i got a lot of things i got to get in order here. I'm the only one, though. All right. <laughs> How about this one? Store up. This is a weird one. Like, pour into this lamp. I don't want to be one who's in darkness. I want to be waxing, which means growing, and not waning. The problem with the ones who had the lamp that went out and was dark as everybody else is because they weren't filling this thing full of the Holy Spirit. Like they weren't applying themselves to church. You say, well, the church, the church is honry and dirty and nasty. They're awful. They're terrible people. They're awful people. And see, so that's the problem. We need to go back to where believers gather together so we can mature together, we can grow together, we can heal together. Don't let the enemy... Take you away from the gathering together of the brethren. You say, but churches and denominations, and I don't know what to tell you. I mean, I'm not crazy about churches and denominations either, but I love studying the Word. I love worshiping together. And I love looking around and realizing everybody's imperfect. The problem you run into is when you look around and you think everybody ought to be perfect. Because we're not. We're in this thing together, Right? The last thing, live the life. Let me give you an example. Forgive to be forgiven. That's living the life, right? If God forgives me, I'm going to forgive the people around me. I'm going to live this life to the fullest that God has called me to live. I want to be doing the things when God comes back that he's called me to do. Now, none of those stories did he say that they were going to come back and be perfect servants. He didn't ask them to be perfect servants. He asked them to just be doing, just being about the Father's business. I could do that. I can be about the Father's business. I may not be perfect. He never came back and said that servant was doing the job, but the servant was not very good at it, or the servant wasn't the best one he ever had. He just said they Dropped it completely and weren't doing it at all. So when God comes back, I want to be living this life the way God's called me to live it. And I want to leave you with the last verse here. I'm going to close with this. Luke twenty-one twenty-eight. after telling all these stories, Jesus said this. I'm going to read it in five different versions. They all are exciting. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. King James, when these things begin to come to pass, look up, lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. Darby translation, But when the things begin to come to pass, look up and lift up your heads, your redemption draws nigh. World English, when the things begin to happen, look up, lift up your heads, because your redemption is near. Youngs, and when these things begin to happen. I like this one. Bend yourself back, lift up your head, because your redemption draweth nigh. It's very close, very close. Look up, stand your feet.